0: Welcome back to Divine Politics Across Countries. Hi Jeff. Kia Lillian. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. So we know that you're the leader of TOP, the Opportunities Party, and you're a former economist and you've run your own business, but what are some things that we might not know about you?
1: Oh, uh, good question. Um, I'm an improviser, so... Uh, you might have heard of theatre sports or whose Lines are it anyway? Um, so I started doing that back in high school, and I've carried on doing it since then. Cool. And uh, part of a wonderful troupe in Wellington called Best on Tap. <laughs> That's the name of our group, and we do um, sort of real life um, was improvised plays. Basically, you know, like uh, so. It's not always funny. It's kind of sometimes dramatic or realistic.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Nice. And so yesterday we found out that New Zealand has four new cases of COVID-19 in the community and Auckland has gone into lockdown. How are you feeling about all of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like most people, it comes as a bit of a shock. Um, I mean, you're, we're, we've, we've been told that, you know, there's likely to be outbreaks again. Um, but it's still a shock when it when it happens. Um, I'm really feeling for you know my friends up in Auckland, uh, obviously because I mean we're all, we're going into level two, but uh, you know which which is disruptive, but not you know not as disruptive as as mm-hmm. level three, as you say that lockdown is is pretty full on, and I'm <clears throat> you know I'm just aware that a lot of people struggled during lockdown with yeah, mental health issues and so I guess I'm that's what I'm really aware of right now is just in that initial that's my initial reaction is is you know I hope, I hope people are taking care of themselves I hope people are talking to you know seeking support if they need it friends family um, you know there's numbers you can call 1737 I think is the number off the top of my head I can check that Anyway
0: I'll check that later yeah, yeah
1: Do that Seek help if you need to talk Because talking Talking about how you're feeling Makes a big difference
0: Yeah that's A very important point I think um, And just for any International listeners Level 3 Is basically Full lockdown um, And level 2 Is social distancing And a few p- Precautionary measures But not lockdown
1: It is 1737 Just checked
0: Okay we're nice. good. Okay. Um, and so how are you feeling about the move to try and make masks mandatory in Auckland?
1: I mean, if that's what the science is telling us, then that's what we should do. Um, I mean, I think it's good that the Prime Minister has said, you know, it doesn't need to be surgical grade masks, bandana, you know, anything is going to help. Um, so I, I think that's good if, if people heed heed that advice um you know it's uh anything that can help stop the the spread when you're in close quarters like like public transport I think it it makes complete sense Mm
0: -hmm. and um what do you think about the possibility of the election being delayed do you think that's a good idea or wait to see what happens a bit more
1: well if if any part of the country i think if any part of the country stays in lockdown past friday um i mean you know there's a chance that the contact tracing will work and this issue will get resolved in the next few days if it doesn't then i think it's pretty inevitable that the election will get delayed um because you know as we found last time lockdown is probably four weeks minimum um in terms of getting two cycles of the of the disease through um that's a month from now which would mean you'd only have like a week of campaigning (laughs) before the election Mm. so yeah i think if there's any if there's any sort of um, lockdown continuing past friday then we're looking at um we're looking at probably in november or next year mm. for an election.
0: Mm. And we've just heard that one of at least one of the members of the family that have contracted covid um were in Rotorua at some point. Do you think that more action should have been taken to put Rotorua into lockdown or do you think there should be a bit more exploration into that contact contact tracing before any anything happens?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I certainly hope that they have talked to the person who went to Rotorua and got a sense of whether they had any close contact with anyone else, um, and if there was close contact, then yes, I, I would I would expect that Rotorua would go into lockdown. Um, I'm assuming by the fact that it's not gone into lockdown that that they think there's you know quite a low risk of um of you know there there being a um you know transmission into into Rotorua. um but yeah that's that's pretty concerning
0: mm. it'll be interesting to see what else sort of comes out of the woodwork as these things develop yes yep um and so how has COVID impacted TOPS policies and priorities and will the resurgence have any further impact on these policies?
1: Yeah I mean that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> I mean obviously uh, the, the big issue for us has been uh, you know as a, as a party since we started has been on housing you know that's been a massive focus for us and it still very much is a big issue for, for, for Kiwis. I mean, do you do you rent here in Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's nasty, right?
0: It's ridiculous. Yeah. Renting
1: in Wellington is just crazy.
0: Yeah. Um, and people always talk about how bad it is in Auckland. And I like for home ownership, sure it's worse in Auckland, but renting is just ridiculous in both places. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. And this is this is a massive issue and COVID hasn't taken that away. Mm. Um, but it has kind of distracted people because the problem isn't getting worse.
0: Mm. Um,
1: mainly because, you know, immigration has stopped. (laughs) So, and tourism has stopped. Right. So in, in, in in the real like touristy areas like Nelson and Queenstown, rents are falling, Mm. which is, you know, is, is a welcome relief there. But the issue in Wellington and Auckland hasn't gone away at all. Um, so, it's it's hard for us to keep talking about housing uh, in terms of, you know, the media haven't been talking about it very much, but when we get out and we talk to people, it's still very much an issue, and so we've continued to talk about it.
0: Just touching on that, I've heard that with the, there's been like a lot of Kiwis returning to New Zealand, and that's one of the reasons that house pricing hasn't gone down, and I'm guessing rent as well.
1: Yeah, in Auckland and Wellington, I think that's exactly right.
0: Mm. Places
1: like Queenstown, I mean, the you might have Kiwis coming home, but it's not enough to <laughs> outweigh the loss of the tourism. Yeah. Um, so that's still an issue, but it is hard to get cut through on that. The UBI has really come into its own under mm. COVID, so that's been a big bonus for us. That's why we re- why we released the UBI policy under lockdown. We were working mm. on it when we went into lockdown, and we were like, "Oh, we got to
0: finish this. Yeah, we got to finish this really quick. <laughs> Good timing. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. And it, that's proved to be, you know, really beneficial. Um yeah. And so UBI is uh, is is being talked about. It is, you know, it's it's up there with housing in terms of, uh, you know, being able to get cut through mm. due to COVID. So that's that's great. The other big issue, and we haven't um, made a big push on this as yet but we are we are planning to if the election goes ahead is around the post-covid recovery Mm. and um you know the government and all all of the political parties in parliament have really just been throwing money around like a lolly scramble to try and you know say what they would do in the post-covid recovery and none of it really has much of a business case and a lot of it isn't to be very good for the climate in terms of meeting our emissions reductions targets so that's that's our kind of our big focus is to sort of say well this is a massive opportunity this is a once in a lifetime election let's spend this money really wisely and make sure it's going to get us to the low carbon economy that we all want to see
0: and what would that wise spending look like compared to other parties
1: yeah well it tends to be really unsexy stuff you know what i mean like um like water infrastructure in Mm. cities that is a massive issue and that's what's stopping like you you wonder why wellington and auckland the rents are so expensive young people millennials want to live close to town right Mm. and but there's a massive housing shortage in the center of our cities because we haven't been able to build up one of the reasons we haven't been able to build up is because of our water infrastructure Mm -hmm. it's a that's a really big barrier Mm. so water infrastructure Public transport, active transport in our cities. Uh, those those are really big things. Uh, the other thing that is is um, is really big in terms of the the, the post COVID recovery uh, is around energy efficiency. You know, so our homes tend to be poorly insulated. Our businesses also tend to be pretty wasteful with resources and electricity. This is something that countries like Europe have been investing in for the last 20 years. So grant schemes to help homes get energy efficient appliances and make sure they're insulated, and grant schemes for businesses to make sure that they um, take care of any any wasteful things that are happening in those areas. We know this is the best return on investment for New Zealand by a long shot, but again, it's kind of unsexy to talk about Mm. energy efficiency compared (laughs) to building roads or trains or, or or putting solar panels on people's roofs, you know, that's kind of the Green Party's thing, mm. um, and, and, you know, they're supposed to be about, re- you know, reducing emissions too, but we know energy efficiency is going to reduce emissions by way more than investing in solar right now, like, that's really clear, um, but political parties do what is sexy, you yeah. know, what will get votes.
0: So with the energy efficiency compared to solar power, wouldn't solar power make energy more efficient?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the big issue in New Zealand, I'm not, I mean, solar power is part of the way forward, mm-hmm. but right now, the biggest issue in New Zealand's electricity system is winter demand, mm. winter demand at night. You know, that's, that's when we're chugging out the most fossil fuels, coal and gas, right, mm-hmm. is In winter, when everyone gets home from work, puts on the heat pump and boils the potatoes, you know, to make dinner, that's not a great time for solar. (laughs) And uh, it's also, I mean, batteries, yes, in 10 years' time, solar plus battery will probably be an important part of our system, but batteries are a way off being cost-effective as yet, so... It's kind of like, I mean, I, I, I can see solar plus batteries becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, it's not the it's not the first cab off the rank. It shouldn't be the first cab off the rank. Mm-hmm.
0: And what are some other important issues that have been sort of not discussed very much because of COVID that are, still remain important but just not quite as prioritised?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, a lot has fallen by the wayside because of COVID um you know uh i mean there is our our justice system there's uh still big problems with uh, our education system in terms of the gaps between rich and and poor early childhood education is is the particular focus for us there because that's where you can get you can get the most bang for buck in terms of helping people from poorer backgrounds to get up to speed before they go to go to school so that's really important um i mean i think uh the whole issue of um of our tax system has really kind of fallen by the wayside (laughs) um but we have a a big issue in New Zealand where we put more of our money into housing than any other country in the world. It's one of the reasons why we have a housing crisis, um, why house prices are so high. And it's also a reason why our businesses have such little money, you know, uh, and one of the reasons why our wages are so low. So we really do need to shift our tax system so that encourages people to invest in businesses that actually create jobs and exports mm. um that so that's an, an important uh, thing going forward um yeah i mean there's there's lots of issues that have that have dropped because of because of COVID, um but the big one i would say would be housing mm. that's that's the big one
0: and looking at other parties campaigns how do you think they've sort of changed their campaign to go around COVID, and how do you think that will continue to change with this resurgence, Mm. and, like, that would obviously include some of those issues that have been falling through the cracks?
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I mean, Labor have just dropped all talk of policy because of COVID, and they're this election for them is basically a referendum on, uh, just Cinder Ardern's handling of COVID-19, which don't get me wrong, was fantastic. We listened to expertise and it worked. And that's what we should do a whole lot more of as a country. Um, particularly around, around the post COVID rebuild, you know, I mean, again, um, all the political parties are, are really just, uh, you know, going on a spending spree in terms of the sort of stuff that they are talking about. It's really incredible to see um, national talking, you know, about spending so much money. That's been a big change for them. So obviously, um, when you when you have a, a big shock like COVID, people kind of get immune to, to large numbers, mm. you know, so you have to come up with Bigger and bigger numbers just to get attention. Mm. <laughs> I think that's um, that's kind of been National's tactic to sort of talk about bigger and bigger infrastructure projects, and at the same time they claim they're going to have lower debt than <laughs> Labor will, which I don't know how they're planning on doing that. <laughs> they they say economic growth will provide it, but that's you know um, that's just a slogan, really. Mm. You know, there's there's not much. To suggest that National are any better on the economy than than, than Labour are, it's it's just slogans. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else has what else has changed things? I mean, I think um, ACT has has benefited from uh, from a lot of things, like the gun legislation, COVID as well. In terms of um, National, has rightly wanted to show solidarity with the government and um and you know get in behind what they're doing on those things and that's left a space for a contrarian voice. Um so the so Act has been able to mop up the, the kind of discontents uh, at the extreme of the political spectrum. Um it'll be interesting to see whether that support sticks once um you know after the after the election. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's certainly it's certainly changed politics this year immensely. Mm. Mm.
0: And you could almost say there's been a bit of a centralisation of the major parties, with Labour trying to retain those votes from National that they've managed to capture. And then National, like, after Simon Bridges got kicked out for being too contrarian, now they're trying to be a bit more, like, um... Yeah, centrist, I guess, and mm. with all that infrastructure, as you mentioned. How do you think that has impacted the minor parties? Because as you said, mm. ACT has gained a lot of popularity. Mm. However, New Zealand First and Green Party have actually declined in popularity, even mm. though Labour is also becoming more centrist. Mm. And also with the Opportunities Party, how do you think that's all happened?
1: Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... Um, The big thing for minor parties is that it's been hard to get media time. Yeah. And certainly I think New Zealand First and the Greens have struggled in that respect. And that's why Labour has overshadowed them. Like I said, I think the reason that ACT's been able to get some traction is because they've been able to take a very contrarian position and, um, and so that's given them media time, media love, love a fight. And if national aren't standing up to the government, then, uh, if actors, then, you know, act will, will benefit from that extra media time. Um, unfortunately, you know, that doesn't allow for a nuanced discussion about things. Um, and that's really, you know, when, when, uh, the government has been, we think broadly doing the right thing on COVID, it's hard to criticise them on that, Uh, and that's been what everyone wants to talk about this year. Um, Whereas our focus, and this is what we tend to say, what Top tends to say generally, is that Labour and National are actually both pretty good at managing crisis, they're good at short-term politics, they just don't look at the long-term stuff. and. That continues to be our message, but when everyone's focused on, um, on a really big short term issue, a crisis like COVID or like the Christchurch shooting or like the Christchurch earthquake a few years ago, um, it can be hard to it can be hard to get cut through with any sort of long term thinking because everyone's just focused on the now. Mm. Mm.
0: And previously, you've said that you would consider going with Labor or National. Um, depending on who gave you the better deal Mm. do you think that's one of the reasons so green has had a bit less sort of power this round because they didn't have that like that power and new zealand first had a bit more Mm. um what do you think that says about our system that you have to have that bargaining power to like be able to use that to get power even if you have more seats or votes. Mm.
1: Well, it, it's just the it's just the way our system is set up, and yeah, I mean, if you look at the the deal that that New Zealand First was able to negotiate, they got they got slightly more votes than the Greens last time, but only slightly, uh, and they were able to negotiate a deal which had thirty times more money in it than the Greens did. You know, um, it's just the reality of our current electoral system I mean if you are only willing to work with one party then there's you know uh they will take you for granted
0: Mm.
1: you know uh whereas if you are willing to to shop around you, you you can um you can get more you know uh I mean you know we can talk about whether that's the um whether that's the fault of our political system, or whether that's the fault of Labour and National refusing to work with each other, because actually, the two closest parties in New Zealand's Parliament, in terms of policy, are Labour and National, but they refuse to work together because they want to maintain the illusion that they're very different. Different branding, they communicate differently, but on the on the issues, they're generally pretty close. That's because they're both going for the centre, going for that centrist voter. So, it's a hangover from from the old um, first past the post system pre MMP. Um, I think what you see in a lot of mature MMP countries that have had it for sort of 50, 60 years is you tend to see four or five parties each with between 10 and 30% of the vote. So, you get a much more nuanced conversation. It's less about left versus right, right versus wrong, whatever, you know, Um, and you get a much more. Like any conversation, if you've just got two points of view, it just becomes, you know, a bit of a fist fight. But if you've got more perspectives than that, it becomes it generally becomes a more interesting conversation. And I think that's where we need to get to in New Zealand is move past this illusion that Labor and National are somehow that different, and uh, and and start to open up the the debate to different perspectives.
0: And so before you were talking about the uvi um could you please explain a bit more what it's about for our listeners the universal basic income
1: absolutely yeah so it is the idea is quite simple um 250 a week to everyone no questions asked so no wins none of that um you can still go to wins if you need more than 250 dollars a week so you know if you're on a disability benefit or or a Um, you know, sole parent benefit or something, there still will be top-ups that are needed, but we can get rid of most of the welfare system. Um, And we can also hugely simplify the tax system with a a 33% flat tax. Um, And that's a UBI plus a flat tax still works out as a very progressive uh, system and means we can get rid of all of the things like working for families and all of these little... Uh, benefits that we've created to try and help people in different ways. Um, so the real the benefits of the UBI it honors unpaid work. So anyone who is you know like raising children for example uh, or caring for someone would get the UBI and that's you know, honoring their their contribution. Um, it acts as a universal student allowance, so students would get it uh, and so it encourages people to retrain and train and, and all that sort of stuff uh it encourages people to start businesses because you've always got that money coming in you can you can try starting a business um you know creative pursuits your podcast all that sort of stuff which can turn into future careers you know i mean just by by following your passion in this way you can who knows what will come of it you know i mean um what's his name Um uh, Steve Jobs was a calligrapher, right? That was, And he ended up using that stuff as part of Apple. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the, the big, advi- the, those are the sort of advantages of it. But the, the big thing is that it gets rid of the welfare trap. So when people are on welfare and they start to work, not only do they get taxed, but they lose their benefit. And this it gets clawed back. And these clawbacks add up to, you know effective tax rates of between 80 and 100 percent so some of these people are working for you know two dollars an hour four dollars an hour sometimes no dollars an hour you know um so what a ubi does is it says okay well you get to, you keep the ubi no matter how much you work and therefore um there's always that incentive to work so we we remove that that welfare trap
0: mm-hmm. and do you think that COVID has made this more relevant now?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a dynamic environment, a dynamic economy. We're just getting a glimpse of the future, you know, with, with automation and artificial intelligence, the job market is going to become more and more disrupted. I mean, I think young people understand that. 40% of young people have more than one job. How many jobs do you have?
0: Uh, Do you have one. your one? you got to my yeah. job.
1: Okay, plus this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Another gig, another gig, yeah. yeah. I mean, lots of young people are, are not necessarily while they're studying, but, one, but post-study, a lot of young people mm-hmm. have two or three jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's to deal with the dynamic economy that we're in these days. People, you know, work as casual. Um, people don't want to be working a 40-hour week. And that's just as well because the old 40-hour-a-week jobs for life just don't exist anymore. So um, so to, I think COVID is showing us a glimpse of that future, that more dynamic workforce. Um, you know, one prediction is that one in eight people are going to lose their job in the next 10 years to artificial intelligence or automation. So we're not talking about widespread unemployment, but we are talking about um, people having to retrain, you know, how long is your degree right now?
0: Three years, add on a bit for (laughs) different interesting subjects that I picked. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. About three years. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, you're not going to be able to afford to do that every time you need to retrain in the future, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to need to move retraining to be more intensive, short courses, um, to you know, micro accreditation, all that sort of stuff, um, so that you can have a more seamless. Uh, you know, retraining experience, shift careers, all that sort of stuff. Um, and a UBI will support people through that. <clears throat> so I think COVID is just giving us a glimpse of that future with a really dynamic economy um, and and the need for greater flexibility, which a UBI provides.
0: Mm-hmm. And so Andrew Yang has spoken about this quite a lot with... Um, especially using the example of truck drivers in the USA. So this is a previous, a former presidential candidate of USA. And um, he said that there's going to be a lot of truck drivers who get their jobs automated. And then once they've had that happen, they'll be in their 50s. A lot of them won't want to retrain or won't be able to because they haven't been in that mindset for so long what do you think is the sort of best outcome for those sort of people
1: yeah i mean it's it's really tough right i mean um, if people have been used to a, one job for life it can be hard for them to to shift how they how they look at this stuff so again i mean i think that you know ubi will help it will provide people with uh, some level of money coming in so that they have some some certainty some um some security around that and while people are looking for alternatives you know um i mean yes truck drivers are, are going to be increasingly automated i've heard some predictions that it won't it won't sort of disappear overnight what we'll see is um is you know the number of jobs will probably tail off, um, in that because we'll still need truck drivers for the technical end of journey and beginning of journey stuff, negotiating cities and all that sort of stuff. But once they're on the open road, they'll be able to set it to cruise control and, and get out and you know leave it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's how this sort of stuff will start to happen. So it won't happen overnight, but but we you know we will start we will see people starting to lose work in the next decade for example truck drivers and if we don't think about that now then there's going to be some pretty pissed off people
0: that is a very fair point i think there's like the industrial revolution led to a lot of riots last time and it was happening a lot slower um and it still led to some pretty hectic outcomes so i think we're gonna need to watch that (laughs) So what impact would the UBI have on people with a disability? Because there are some people that are forced to quit their jobs just to get a house when they've got a disability because that's the only way that they can get this. And then on the other hand, there are people who can't work at all and are not getting enough help from the state, especially when you compare it, for example, to ACC people with long-term injuries that get a lot more help. What would be your sort of solution for this?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, firstly, like I said, a UBI would, be need, would need to be topped up for people that really can't work. Um, and I think people will be more open to that sort of conversation when a UBI is in place because then we're all beneficiaries and you can't get away with beneficiary bashing. So we see that with New Zealand Super because everyone gets it. There's a lot less stigma around it. And I think that would be the case for um, you know for people who need a top up to their to their ubi if they if they really couldn't work I mean I do know a um, a number of people with um, disabilities mental health problems in particular who sometimes can work and sometimes can't and dealing with wins for them is an absolute nightmare you know in terms of having to deal with them every time they're moving in and out of work, uh, it adds to their mental health issues because of the, the stress and stigma involved in that. And a UBI would provide them with some level of security regardless of whether or not that they are, are working effectively. So I think, uh, you know, from, from the conversations I've had with, with quite a lot of people, um, they, would, they would happily... Um, take the UBI and never walk through the doors of ones again. <laughs>
0: mm. And what sort of top ups would you think should remain from the current welfare system? What ones do you think should increase and what do you think should be scrapped?
1: Uh, I mean, long term I would like to see the accommodation supplement scrapped because I think if we can make housing affordable again then it won't be needed, you know. Um, and there's a lot of work that we need to do to to achieve that. It's not something that's gonna that's gonna happen in the next five or ten years. But if we made a real effort, like we did with COVID, uh, you know, I mean, that really showed. That should show young people that anything is possible. Mm. Don't believe anyone who tells you, our oh, house prices, the housing market's tough." You know, it's really difficult to solve. We can solve this. Mm. You know, it, yes, it will take time, but we can solve it. Um, and within, you know, within time we should be able to phase out the accommodation supplement as, as a result. Um, on the stuff that, that needs to be, um, uh, you know, that needs to be kept and, and lifted, I mean, I do agree that, um, I mean, currently we have this crazy situation with um, sole parents and the interaction between their benefits and working for families. Uh, And there's something called the in-work tax credit, which um, rewards people for rewards families for working a certain amount. And for sole parents, it's really difficult Um, when you're working flexible hours. uh, You can you can get penalised, you know, uh, without good reason, really. And it adds to the complexity of the system. Um, It would be easier just to give everyone. That in work tax credit, and and uh, and that would be a a boost of about seventy dollars a week for our poorest families. Um, so that absolutely makes sense to me um, in terms of in terms of needing boosting. Um, but generally speaking, from what we're proposing, no one would be worse off under the current than they would be under the current system.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for your interesting viewpoints, and do you have a final message for New Zealand and the world?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, mainly I just think, you know, young people need to know that real change is possible, just because you haven't seen it for the last 30 years. I can understand why young people are turned off by politics and are cynical about it, um, because the, the status quo really clearly isn't working. But if you vote, you can shift the status quo. You know, things can be different from the, from how they are now. Um, you only need to look overseas to see that, that, you know, we can bring house prices down over time, for example. Um, these sorts of things are possible if we really put our minds to it, and voting is a big part of that.
0: Great. Right. Thank you so much, Jeff. It was great to see you again.
1: Pleasure.